0: So for future uh, classes as well. Um, Deb Best, I don't see you yet. Deb, are you there? Deb Best? There she is. How are you?
1: I'm good, how are you? Hi, everybody.
0: You guys say hi, Deb Best. Hello. Hi. So, Hi. nice to meet you. Hello, Deb. I just want to tell yeah. you this is a very special class, and I'm not just saying that to you know pump them up. Um, they've been we've been doing online. Um, you know their assignments are online. Yeah. Um, we do one lecture a week, um, and that's live. And but um, I was just reviewing their, So we're in this textbook on a, a b- growing a business in all the various aspects and some of the chapters are drier than others we just went yeah. through a chapter on the various corporation forms, like you know sole proprietorship versus llc versus s corp and stuff yeah but it's all necessary um but they gave extremely thoughtful responses and um they're not just they, they just i don't see anybody in this group that cuts corners so i there there, there was a excellent I wanted to highlight that but so the purpose of this class is not everybody in this class necessarily wants to be an entrepreneur um some may get a taste of it never thought they would be and actually may want to do it mm-hmm. others may become well you know this word very well deb you know entrepreneurs they may be have an entrepreneurial role in a larger company yep. so anyway uh i just want to give a little intro to, to devin and deb can um and we're going to have a conversation so um mm-hmm. this is going to be very much uh just us chatting and if you have a question, you can either go down in the chat and say, can I say something? Or um, you can just, you know, let me wave, you know, look, I'm always looking up. And I know Deb would love to have your uh, your questions because he's very, um... I had her come to a class uh, a couple years ago. It was a business communications class. And I'll never forget, uh, Deb walked around the classroom and shook everybody's hand. Now, we can't do that right now. No. Um, some people think handshaking is gone forever. I hope that's not true. But I don't think so. Um, but she was talking about, and I think they all passed the handshake test, if I remember correctly. They did. But they when you go in for a job interview, you know, you don't want to crush and be overly, and you don't want to be a limp like fish and sure. you know, clammy. You kind of want that, like, I'm confident, but I'm not trying to really make a hard right, a hard statement on. But anyway. Deb is one of my advisors at the Biz Lab. I mentioned before the um, accelerator program and um, we have a thing called the Biz Hub and those are people like in accounting, um, law and all the things I talk about how you need experts to come around you. You may love um, web development or game development. That's your specialty, but you're probably not really great at payroll or understanding work, um, workplace issues. And so you wanna bring people like Deb and the HR side of things to say, Hey, you might have crossed the line there, or you might want to think about how you handle this, or do you have a policy in place so that you're, you know, you're covering yourself and those kind of things? So, mm-hmm. Deb has a great um, reputation in the area, and it's been great to work with her. So, Deb, why don't you just start off by just telling a little bit about yourself, what you do, even like where you grew. You grew up in the city. Your dad is your hero, okay. and uh, which I absolutely love your story. And and then we'll get into some of the the meat and potatoes. I know one of our students did have a question from our last chapter, I said, you ought to ask Deb that question. So, right. and you, is it okay if I'm recording this? Absolutely. And I'm going to make a podcast out of this, if that's all right. Absolutely. That's all nice. right. So okay. go ahead, Deb, tell <laughs> us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got where you are. Well,
1: just to, you know, just to kind of humanize myself, um, I'm not a morning person and it, and Rick well knows that. However, Um, It gave me more time this time around because last time I had to get down to the college building and and speak in person. So I'm not a morning person. I never have been. I've been a second shift person. Actually, um, I came here, what is it, 42 years ago um, as a college freshman, SUNY Albany, and I started out as a pre-med major. And I set my lab batch on fire in organic chemistry and that wasn't working out. So I switched to English and my senior it's semester, a lot safer. I'm sorry, it was, what?
0: It's a lot safer.
1: Uh, yeah. You know, there's no, there's no, there is no incendiary involved in, in communications usually. Right. Um, and my, I was lucky my, my last semester, my senior semester, one of my friends said, Hey, you want to write for a living, right? I was like, yeah, yeah. She said, well, you should do an, a New York state assembly internship. And so I I filed my application three days before the deadline, and I didn't think I was going to get in, but I did. And um, you know, I come from downstate. Maybe some of you also have family or yourselves come from downstate. We tend to be more democratic, more union focused. My granddaddy was a member of the IBEW. He was a journeyman electrician. Um, That's when unions were great. You know, when he when he joined the union in the 20s. unions today, there are some great ones, there are some not so great ones, but that's another story. Um, so I was worried they were going to put me with the most conservative assembly member as like punishment or something for, for applying late. And, and thank God they put me with my home assemblyman. I'm, I, I, you know, I was born in the city and we moved to Rockland County. Um, when I was in elementary school. His name was Bob Connor. He's since passed away, but boy, he was, he was a pip. Um, he, was, uh, he loved fighting the utilities. Um, he loved fighting Orange and Rockland. And they, get, they put me with the most liberal member in the assembly. He could barely wear a tie to session. So back then, so we're talking 1982 to 83, no, that was '83. It was my senior semester. Um, he had clip-on ties. <laughs> I think he just had one that he kept in his 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 desk drawer. But you know, you know how big, like you know, we're all dressing business casual now. I mean, I've got a whole closet of of suit jackets that I don't know if I'll ever use again. But you know, back then, you you know, women for for especially, we couldn't wear pants. Can you imagine that? Is that ridiculous? You had yeah. to wear. You had to wear a matching suit with pantyhose. So those of you who have traveled in the city in August or grew up in the city, pantyhose in the subway, are you kidding me? So, and, and high heels, couldn't even wear fla- Oh, It was ridiculous. But um, Bob didn't We've really- We've come a long way. We've come a long way. Yes, we have. So um, I, you know, I had a, a great kickoff to my career working for the New York State Assembly. Um, I worked for Bob part-time. I graduated into a recession. So those of you who are worried about graduating into a recession, Rick, I don't know, how many recessions have we lived through since 83? 83 was a recession. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been laid off three times in my career. I, um, so I had a communications career before I had an HR career. I've been in HR for 33 years. And then before that, Um, You know, hey, they pay people to write in the assembly. I thought I'd be able to be a professional writer. So um, I worked with Bob part time and at Macy's part time. um, And then I got a session job with, I don't think you know this, Rick, Alan Hevesy, who eventually became the state controller and unfortunately came from the Queen's Democratic machine, which, you know, they're a little little bit, um, let's say, what what's a good word for it, Rick? Um, okay.
0: Hard Scrabble uh, is that what they saying?
1: Hard Scrabble, um, but you know it was it was an old boys. Back the Democratic room. Party in Queens was an old boys network, and it was yeah. patronage. That's what I'm that's what I'm looking patronage, for. Patronage, so yes. It, it was a patronage, yeah. It was yes. patronage. So I want to tell you, you know uh, what what a, a very bright man. So sorry to hear that he had these ethics issues, but it was great working for him. So it was a session job. And I made $8,000 for six months. Can you imagine $8,000 for six months? Well, if you do the math, it's probably about 40 um, or maybe 30, I don't know. I, don't, I guess I just want to console myself that way. And then um, you know, I didn't know if I was going to have a job and this was 80, um, 84. And I didn't uh, know I was going to have a job after that session job. And then I I got a job with uh, New York state assembly house operations. So that was the democratic, um, part of the assembly where the writers were. So in terms of work ethic, um, you know, because I wrote press releases, I wrote newsletters, I had all of, I had a good chunk of the New York city assembly members as my client group. Now we didn't have computers. Can you imagine? So, they just had rolled out word processors, and I'm going to be 60 in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I have no problem with my age, but I just want to give you a sense of how much has changed and for the better. So, can you imagine being a writer? I mean, I type 60 to 80 words a minute, and we thought that having um, an IBM electric typewriter with built in um, correction tape was high tech. <laughs> and they had just come out with fax machines and they were $5,000.
0: Do you guys know and what a typewriter is? A typewriter is basically like a keyboard attached to the printer basically with no screen. Okay? Right. Just, uh, That's right. Just, uh,
1: well, my husband my husband is a writer as well. He's he's a creative writer and um he collects old manual typewriters um from the 50s. So, yeah, I couldn't type manual, but electric was a lot like typing on a computer. Keyboard.
0: I got to show you i have a typewriter here i got from my grandma oh there
1: you go he's and, gonna show um,
0: see and yeah this does not have this predates qwerty wow so it actually doesn't even have the same keys that we have anyway yeah so, yeah so. A, a, there's a lot of dust up there wow. okay yeah so,
1: so you know it was interesting so funny that you showed that when i was um when i was a little girl in queens i got um for my birthday i got a play Typewriter that was made out of tin, and I think it only could type one letter at a time. So, guess it was like um, you know, it it was it was a vision of what I would do later in life. And by the way, what I do now, 80% of the work I do is writing and communications because in dealing with employees and dealing with them fairly, you have to be a good communicator. So it's not
0: wasted. I think. No. there's a couple of things you said, but I don't want to lose your flow because I want to make no, sure I don't forget. You know but, but when you think that you wasted some people, I've heard many people, I don't know if you guys ever felt this way. If I major in the wrong thing, my home no. is off the trajectory or if I pick the wrong school, no. quote unquote wrong school. And I just sometimes life brings you places and it's really how you adapt and you flow. We've already heard Deb was laid off three times. Did right. that help form her? Um, mindset about the business world and what happens in places of work. I bet it probably did. It exposed her to things. What, you know, I always tell my kids, you know, I, I think I was a decent dad, but there are probably some areas I'm like, I was always an example. They Hopefully said, so. I was really no, a good example. They've Sorry. told me. They've told sure. me themselves, by the way. Oh. <laughs> See? So, so I wanted to make sure you hear that, though, that, you know, and also one other thing I want to highlight and keep going with your, with the way you were going, but. She said she worked at Macy's and the assembly. Yeah. Sometimes we don't get the full package right away. No. I tell people all the time, no. even if you're working, say you went to school for X career and you can't quite land that job and you have to get a job at stewards, nothing wrong with stewards at all. You no. learn a lot. And say, maybe you volunteer in something that is what you really want to do. And maybe it's That's only right. 10 hours a week, yeah. but do you can have, and then hopefully... You will, that will lead to connections that you will make. and People will say, you know what, this person came as a volunteer that says a lot. So anyway, so when you said Macy's, I was like, she's figuring it out. Yeah. Pay the bills. Yeah. And this one job is not enough. And you may even make more money at Macy's than you make, sometimes people will be like short-sighted.
1: I think I did. I think I made more money at Macy's than I did at the assembly when I was doing two part-time jobs.
0: I know somebody that like was working at um, at Panera and they had an opportunity to do something and they were going to make less money and they go, well, I'm mm-hmm. making more at Panera, Mike, but that's short-sighted because the other thing was really in your career path. And so, yeah, maybe you're going to make less. For... Anyway, I don't mean to take up your time. So keep going.
1: No, no, that's fine. Um, n- so you yeah, writing. So... Your
0: communication is still a big part of what you do. So that Huge. Training was all useful. Huge.
1: Yes. And so um. I wrote press releases and newsletters on an IBM electric typewriter. And the newsletters, they, 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 you type up the hard copy and if you made a mistake, you had to start over again, unless you had erasable paper. That was crazy. And then you brought it down to the print shop in the, in the legislative office building. And then they took it and then they literally, I don't know if you've seen Little Women, the, the most recent movie version of Little Women, they, they would take type as the old, it was an old printing press, uh, old fashioned. They would take the type and reset it. And then they would pull the first plate and that's called the blues. And then they bring it up and there would be typos because it, I mean, you, t- you know, there's um, Six Sigma. Uh, when I worked at GE, um, that, there were, Six Sigma was big, I think it still is. And Six Sigma is about you, 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 you eliminate the opportunities for error. So the way that we used to do things when I was your age, there were so many opportunities for error and it created so much work. But here's the cool thing about working for the New York State Assembly was the let the um back then the ethics uh rules were different. The lobbyists would have these great Receptions for members of both the Senate and the Assembly and most of them didn't want to go to those receptions. So probably three or four times a week. I had somebody else's invitation. And this is why to this day, I love bacon wrap scallops because that's what they served at every at every one of those uh, receptions. But the big thing about that job experience all kidding aside was the work ethic. So, um, when, you know, part of my job was to write a press release when a bill was passed or signed by a particular member. So if session was going until two or three in the morning, we were there um, either sitting in our offices, our offices were in agency building four, and that's another story in and of itself, agency building four, um, uh, we were in the penthouse and that was set on fire. Oh, um, wow. Well, yeah, that another interesting story for another time. But um, so the work ethic of, you know, just, you know, being so engaged in what they were doing. I never complained because I hate staying up late and I hate getting up early, but that was such a great experience in terms of developing my work ethic. And, you know, it's so, you know, they, they don't call it small for nothing. I used to sit next to Paul Tonko when he was an assembly member and um, we called him Tonka Toys. That was our nickname for him. I don't think he would appreciate that. Um, you know, oh, he's a good, he's, like, a,
0: he's an easygoing guy. Yeah,
1: he's, do you know what? He actually, re- you know, I, I don't think I've changed that much, but he recognized me. I mean, yeah. he's, he's an amazing guy. Oh, if, he you, you, his name. if
0: you he live remembers in his
1: district, I, I do. You're lucky.
0: Yeah. So I want to move into the HR thing. So let's tell go me to HR. How, yeah. So did you leave a business and start your own business, or how did Dev Best Practices come about?
1: Well, every time I've been laid off, I've gotten a better job, making more money. So the first time I got laid off, um, I had left my job at, at the assembly. I was working for a nonprofit, and that was the 1988 crash. And, you know, you've seen crashes in your lifetimes. This was a big one. Um, this was very frightening. We've never seen a crash like this in general. We hadn't seen a crash like this in generations. So I was out of work for eight months. I lost a lot of weight. That was the only upside of it. It was, you know, it was a scary time. But you know what? I networked my buns off. Um, and this is before mobile phones, fax machines. I was writing. I had my dad had bought me. I think it was like $500 as a graduation gift an electric typewriter that had a two-line screen. So you could see two lines at a time. So I must have, at that time I was unemployed, I must have sent out 150 letters. I had some great conversations with people. When KeyBank was in the middle of exiting um, the Albany area, their head of marketing, I had, had sent him a letter saying, you know, I'd love to work for you. He actually called me in and he said, I don't have a job for you. You are a great writer. And I I want to let you know, don't give up. Oh my God. I mean, I get get a little verklempt even thinking about this all these years later. But because I did all that networking, somebody got my resume. I was actually an employment, um, a a recruiting agency. They got my resume and they gave it to um, the HR group at GE Aerospace in Pittsfield, which no longer exists. Um, And that's how I got into GE. And the funniest thing about that interview, GE interviews are, you know, they're, they're, they're epic. You know, if they want to hire you, they keep adding interviewers. I was supposed to be there for four hours. I was there for eight. Wow. And um, they, they took a couple of days and they made me the job offer. And the guy who was my first boss at GE, he said, you know, we were hesitating a little bit about you. I said, oh, well, you know, I think that's good for me to know. What what was the hesitation? He said, well, you know, you're a state employee. State employees don't really have any work ethic. And I said, Yeah, you've never worked for the legislature. That's not, that's not true. So that's how I started my HR career, was because of writing, because of communications. And so I was hired into a role doing employee communications and press relations. And that group was in the HR department. That's how GE structured it at every business. So that's how I got into HR, and um, you know the sad thing about my time there was that businesses were closing down. It used to be large transformer, small transformer, GE Aerospace. I mean, GE Plastics doesn't even exist anymore. So you know, GE started either closing or selling off these businesses, and for three years, all I did was lay people off. So I would I would do newsletters on how to get a, a, another job. I mean, I just had that experience. So you know, I had a lot of of personal knowledge about it. And, you know, it got it really got to be wearing. And then finally, this was the second time I was laid off, because I was the most junior person in HR, I was laid off. But during that, that experience of helping people while they were being laid off, I decided that I liked helping people when they, you know, in the workplace when they were in a bad place. That's where that's where the spark came for what I love to do. And I like to I like to do things that most HR people hate, like settle food fights, that kind of thing. Go ahead, Rick.
0: No, that's awesome. By the way, I, we had a um, um, uh, a workshop at the Biz Lab that Deb uh, created. Um, conflict. That was about workplace conflict, which is. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting just to stop for one moment. Sure. Um, a couple of things that you don't always see everything until you're in the middle of it, right? To see what it is. Like when you were growing up as a little girl, even in college, to say I want to go into HR and I want to um, help people, instead sometimes it's like so just being a little bit more like cognizant, maybe a little bit retrospective. You look back, you kind of say, "Oh, I," you know, and then realize the other thing is I've been telling my daughter this because she's doing great work in public relations. how much you learn on the job? You do. You're going to learn stuff in our class. I hope. I hope you get some nuggets. At the end of the day, though, it's that first job or your next job that you're going to have hopefully a boss or a colleague, and you're going to learn some new, a whole set of skills that you didn't even think you needed or you were interested in. And then you might carve out your own specialty area. So anyway, right. sorry, go ahead. Deb. Right. So
1: that you know, so that there, there's some other, there's some other, you know, urban myths that I need to smash here. I didn't figure out what I wanted to be when I, when I grew up. I only figured out part of it when I was almost 29 years old. Okay, and I started my business when I was 48 years old. I've been in, I've been in my business for 12 years. So it's never too late to Very start good. doing this. Um, and, there, you know, and I didn't hit really, you know, in a lot of ways, when you do something that not many other people are doing, you know, you're kind of in the wilderness by yourself. And I, I find that to be both um, terrifying and exciting at the same time. You know, one of you know the movie I keep watching over and over again is *The Darkest Hour* about um, Winston Churchill not wanting to negotiate with Hitler. Wonderful movie, you should watch it. And um, let's see, the it's the courage to change. So success is, is not final. Um, failure is something, but the courage to change, the courage to continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So failure. Uh, so success is not final. Failure um, is something else, but the courage to continue is what counts. Yes. So yes. Um, the courage to continue. Sorry, it's eight a.m. I don't remember um, quotes. <laughs> um, or it's almost nine, I guess. But the courage to continue. So courage is not bravery. Courage is doing something even though you're scared.
0: Yes, that's right. Good definition. That's that's
1: that's, that's what I, I'm courageous. I'm 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 brave sometimes, but I'm mostly courageous because. You know, I like trying new things. I I don't mind change. Go ahead, Rick.
0: No, I was going to say, you plow ahead, even if you can still have human concerns and you know, but it's still charging up that hill anyway, even in the midst of that.
1: I mean, in, in the darkest hour, please watch it. I think it's, you know, I think it's on several platforms right now. I mean, he gets to the point where, and this is like the nineteen forty, the nineteen forties, um, and you know, there are scenes of him crying. I mean, can you imagine being under the pressure he was under? No. And then the King of England comes and visits him in his tacky bedroom while he had just finished crying, and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back you up no matter what. You, you're right." Because Winston Churchill was up against everybody who didn't think he was right, and he was right.
0: right. So,
1: you know, that courage yeah,
0: true. is true. really
1: really important. So, yeah, um, and then I was, so I was laid off for the second time, and I was going to hit the street, um, in, you know, they give you a 60-day notice um, when you're a large enough company in New York. It's 25. Um, it's, it, uh, I'm sorry, it's 60 days, a 60-day notice. It's called the Warn. I hope you don't ever have to um, experience that, so you get 60 days' notice before you your last day. So instead of um, because I've been laid off before and I had such a great experience there, I worked up until um, the, the week before I was going to hit the street. And my boss, when he laid me off, he took me out to lunch in the nicest restaurant in Pittsfield, and he cried and i was and i was like it's okay don't worry i'm going to be fine i've done this before i'll do it again i'll just start networking so he was influential in helping me get my next hr job at ge and that was at ge silicones which is now momentum um, and that you know and that was a great experience and then i got promoted to the corporate level because you know, At GE, we're taught um, if you're, if, what makes you a great manager is promoting your people, and you want to promote them at least to your level or above. So my boss, Bill, the best boss of my career, he was big on that. He thought I could be the head of HR of the General Electric Company, I, I, you know, and I said, I don't think so, Bill. I don't think that, that that's not something I particularly want to do, but he really believed in me. So he, he pushed me into taking a promotion, being a communications leader for um, corporate benefits delivery. And I'm a good writer, I love communicating. I wasn't doing HR, I wasn't happy. So I left and I was networking again with um, with friends and colleagues and my friend Stephanie. Her uncle Robert was Bob Higgins, the founder of Transworld Entertainment, which just dissolved. So um, Transworld Entertainment was CDs, music and movies and digital downloading closed um, killed that business, but you know, I I don't want to, I can't say that I would want to live without digital downloading. I mean, it's just what happens. So I had left well before that because I spent 10 years there, worked with great people. But here's the great thing about that experience is that Bob Higgins hired me himself. I networked with him. I was trying to go work for Price Chopper because he was friends with Neil Golub at the time. They 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 weren't friends after a while. And I just wanted him to recommend me to Janiel Gallup so that I could get a job price chopper um, in HR. And he, and he said, you know, and, and at the time we had just, my husband and I had just opened a picture framing shop. My husband is a picture framer. So we had a retail storefront and that was another story in and of itself is, is how hard it was to get a loan and I almost gave up. And somebody at Fleet Bank believed in us. So um, Bob said, you know, you're an entrepreneur just like me. And I said, no, I'm not just like you. What are you talking about? He saw something in me that I didn't see. And he said, you know, I can give you a list of CEOs that I would be proud to represent you and send you to, but I have a job for you here. Would you like to work for me? And I had spent an hour and a half with him on a Saturday morning. Now, you know, it was during holiday season. So Saturday mornings were working, you know, everybody worked at corporate. So the fact that he spent he spent all that time with me, and on Saturdays we could all wear jeans. This was back, you know, in '97. So everybody was in jeans, including him, and I'm wearing my navy suit, um, ready for an interview. So you know, going back to the handshaking thing. So if you're going on an interview, um, you know, I, I've seen pe- I, I I interview people all the time via Zoom, i I've been doing that before the pandemic. So. As long as, you know, by the way, I just, you know, again, to be transparent, I have a virtual background. So if I took the virtual background down, you would see the mess that my office is. So, you know, you also, you know, you have to, you have to be aware of, of what's in, you know, in back of you what and how you look um, when, when you're on Zoom.
0: I have so, Jimmy Stewart, is that okay? I'm sorry, I Jimmy, what? I have Jimmy Stewart and um, Rocky, is that all right?
1: In the I, max. My 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 office looks like a playpen. I have you know you know some people people like a lot of toys in their office. I have a lot of toys, and so but that makes me happy. It's eye candy for me. It keeps me going. But me I, I don't want to show that to the world. I right? want to
0: bring you back on a couple of things, and I want to get into some. Oh. Um, but so one is just the idea that you may go into one thing, meaning this meeting with an expectation. That's right. Number one, I think Higgins it's Higgins right that deserves yeah. there's credit for not missing it you know, that there's a gem in front of him and that, you know what, um, yeah, she came for something, a recommendation, but, you know, so he had some insights. There's something about his uh, gut instinct as well, yeah. as, you know, and then, and then um, you also had to adjust because you weren't going for that. No. And, um, but to give me a sense of like, just to kind of move to the HR side of things, Yeah. like what, why is an HR person important for a company? Is there, and is it only for large companies or should startups consider at least having, you know how I feel about that obviously, yeah. but um, you know, is there a role for HR at the earliest stages as well? Yes. And what kinds of issues are you helping to even maybe avoid? Like you're helping them to avoid pitfalls before they come. And then also there's right. probably things that you have to deal with. Right. Um, So give me kind of like that grand scope of what it is that you and maybe even some illustrations without naming names, um, because I don't you know want to protect the somewhat innocent. Absolutely. Uh, So go ahead. Sorry. So
1: you know, most people, if you haven't worked in a big company, most people think HR is payroll and benefits, or as one of my GE retiree friends would say, um, health and happiness. So, um, so in small companies, and, and, and if you've never again worked in a large company, that's what HR is. You know, they, they, get, they take care of your benefits, they, they you know, run your payroll, but HR in a larger organization or even in a startup organization. So another um, watershed, the third time I was laid off is when I started my business. And that was during the 2009 recession. That was a bad one. There were no jobs. What, what was, what, what triggered that? It was the how was it the housing? Housing, yeah. Yeah, it was the housing. There've been a couple of recessions triggered by inflated housing prices. And that was, that was one of them. And so there were, this was a scary one. Yes, Edward. Yeah, uh, you mentioning the housing market. I actually found a a video recently uh, through my subscription feed uh, referencing the GameStop issue, uh, oh. uh, which is somewhat similar according that's to right. the guy that was theorizing about it. That's right. It is. Yeah. Now, you'll excuse you know. me. My nose seems to be running.
0: I, I know that's okay. I'd bring that
1: up. No, no, you're absolutely right. And um, unfortunately, you know, the stock market is very emotional. Yes. You know, it's it's driven by emotion. You know, we try to keep it fact based, but it's driven by emotion. And by the way, Transworld was a publicly traded company, and they also gave me stock options upon hire, which were life changing. Um, Go back real
0: quickly to that. Go back to
1: HR. So HR, it's about it's about treating people right. It's about it's about mediating the needs of the company and the employee. You want both people to get. You want both um, parties to get their needs met. Best training I've gotten as an HR person is basic mediation training, state of New York. Mediation matters. It's a four-day training. If you ever interested in being a mediator, I, I I wish I had done it 30 years ago. Now
0: what does a mediator do? What is a mediator?
1: A mediator, a mediator um, resolves conflict. Resolves so
0: they're not, they're impartial, unbiased. Right. They don't have no. a dog in that fight. Okay. No.
1: no. And you know, I use my mediation skills all the time. You know, there's all sorts of, of mediations. You know, you don't have to be impartial. You can also mediate yourself if you're in in a conflict with somebody else. So that you know, I I, I so I, the, my favorite thing to do is to help people be successful at work. I don't. You know, people have said to me over the years, "Wow, you'd make a great therapist." It's like, yeah, no, no, it's I. It's a little piece of that. It's <laughs> yeah, it's related. No, oh, no, it is right, but.
0: Uh, you know, I. What kinds I, of things are you seeing? Um, give us in a couple of samples, and then we, Edward, you did have a question about last chapter. I think actually might be good, maybe right here. But before Edward's question um, about family-owned businesses, um, sure. What kinds of? Give me maybe you know we have sexual harassment issues and making sure that you have a policy in place. I mean, uh, Transfinder every year we take um, a training class training. Yeah. Um, and at SCCC, I had to take a, um, a one as well. Um, so, you know, that's one that ten years ago I don't think existed. Um,
1: I've been, I've been, tra- I've been doing the training since 1989.
0: But it wasn't required, right? I, know, I mean, I worked in many places that we. I didn't GE do it.
1: was GE. GE was always ten to twenty years ahead of, of every every other business. Yeah. So give
0: me some of the. Give me some broad strokes on what things that you that come across your plate, and then I'm going to turn it over to Edward to ask the one very specific sure. question. Edward, that we talked about.
1: Sure. Well, go ahead. So, um, you know, harassment's a big problem. You know, people. If you you know, it it's, it can be a lot in, in a workplace. It can be like a lot like high school. You know, clicks form. Um, people who are considered to be minority groups, you know, the protected classes in New York State. Everybody on this in this meeting is a protected class, by the way, in some way, shape, or form. I think I'm four, um, so that means protected from discrimination. So, um, you know, I, it, I think a lot of the times, um, you know, own, you know, owners and small business people, they don't focus on. You know, what do they need to do to stay compliant, but they're not in touch with, well, you know, my employee's success is related to my success and they make some dopey decisions. Like, you know, they fire somebody because for no reason. Now in in, in New York, it's, we're an at will employment. You know, we can end employment whenever we want, but it's not that simple. You know, so I've, I've had, you know, I've had clients and, and seen other businesses where, it's, you know, it's something called environmental scanning. And I was also a diversity training facilitator at GE, but I'm no, not a diversity consultant, a, D, a diversity equity and inclusion consultant by any means. There's something that, that you call environmental scanning. You know, how many people of color, how, how, you know, how many men, how many white men are in this group? And when you see a company, and I've, and I've seen a couple of the companies who've even presented at the biz lab, it's like, they're all white guys, and they're all under forty. I don't know. I don't know what that's about, but that's not good, right? So that's when, you know.
0: I will say for the BizLab Clarkson lunches, we've had extremely diverse. Uh,
1: you have no, no, no. There was
0: only one. There was political.
1: only one. Yeah, there was only one. So you, you know, it's it's things like that, and you you know, you want to hire people because they they're going to do the job and they're talented. But you can't just, you know, that, you know, where people, uh, where businesses also fall into a hole or fall into the gap is they hire in their own image. So if the founder is a white guy under 40, he's going to hire all his friends who are likely white guys under 40. And that's not, that's not what we do.
0: Or any, any, any group can do the same thing. Right. Fall into that same category
1: you know, no, no offense to white guys under 40, but, you know, that you're, you know, you have, you have the discretionary power in our society. So um, that, that's, that, that, those are things to look for. Um, I think where people um, do act like they're in high school, that's where a lot of the harassment comes from. It starts with bullying. Um, you know, people think that, for whatever reason, like particularly managers, you know, what's, what I find also in small businesses is, is they don't get, they've never had training or any good role model to be a manager. And so bad managers, they're usually scared. They don't, they don't know how to deal with the nuances. So you're either their friend or their enemy. They don't, they don't know how to manage. And I'll tell you that a good manager, and I consider myself a good manager, if I, if I give you respect and you give me respect, we've won. We don't need to be friends. I mean, if we, have, we enjoy um, some lunches together and we have some fun, that's great. But we're looking for mutual respect in the
0: workplace. And I think there a lot of employers
1: don't understand that. Yes, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, you're there for at work for one purpose. And then you're that there is to work the job. You're there to um, work. I, would, I wanna, cause we're at nine o'clock. We still have time, we have lots of time. And I All wanna right. get to some other questions too. Sure. But I think Deb said something that was very important, the word compliant, yeah. um, that there are things. So, you know, um, ignorance of the law, you probably have heard this is no excuse, right? And so when in you New bring York it- New York especially. In, you know, so you want to have somebody who can help you to say, well, you know, these are some pitfalls. So make sure that you are following this, you know, you're actually breaking, um, you know, you're breaking a law. You yes. know? Um, right. So anyway, so Edward, we the last chapter was talking about family owned businesses. Have you ever dealt with a family owned business?
1: Most of my clients are family owned businesses. Okay.
0: Edward, go ahead. Shoot with your question. Very targeted here. There we go uh uh let's see when i was looking through the chapter the section on
1: how to deal with incompetent family members was very limited uh, and oh. my brother is quite the handful okay so that's that's very interesting so um Transworld was a family business and we were lucky because bob higgins unfortunately he was much harder on his family members than on other employees, um, but that that was a positive experience in a sense because he did not favor his family. The only place where he favored his fa- his family, frankly, and everybody knew about it, was he gave them a lot more stock options than they were entitled to. So that I think that's the only the only time that he showed favoritism. But
0: yeah, um, we're not getting specific here. Although I don't know, <laughs> I think we've across that, but. Um, just what kind of issues have you seen when dealing with family-owned businesses and how do you, and like you talked about like resolving, helping to resolve conflicts. Is so that what kind of conflicts have you seen? And then what kind of resolutions to those conflicts? And then I'm asking students to be thinking cause I want to get a question from somebody else. Uh, I see Skye shaking her head, so. Okay, uh, go so ahead.
1: I think, the, I think one, of the, one of the most common mistakes in family businesses is assuming that the next generation has the same talent and the same drive to run the business and the worst thing that can happen in a family business is that you make a child or a grandchild take over the business where they have no interest. So I have a client um, right now, manufacturing business started by his grandfather and he he's, he's been looking to sell the business for two years because he doesn't, he doesn't want to work in the business. He, you know, and I say, I say, give him kudos for, you know, really understanding that. Um, i think that is probably the most common error is just because you're related to me by blood i'm going to make you the head of the business because then everything sh- everything collapses from there there can it be something
0: you know, go ahead. can it be issues like if there's a um uh, a family member a younger family member just kind of coming into the business, maybe maybe he or she gets out of college yep and Maybe there's other people who have been with the business for 10, 20 years, the COO, very close to CEO. But once you have the young guy coming in, is there a sense of like, yep, I guess I'm not going to be, I'm not the heir apparent anymore. It's going to be this um, young family member. And then, I mean, then there's a sense of like um, my future, I have a ceiling now in my career growth.
1: It depends on the maturity of the founder. You know, I think it depends on the emotional intelligence of the founder. I think Bob was very realistic about, um, you know, what his his um, his family members could and couldn't do, and and they were placed to their talents. I mean, maybe one or two of them were promoted because they were related to him, but not promoted very far. I have to tell you, I just um, was talking to my friend Barry, who was the global logistics that vice president at Transworld, my biggest customer. I sat right next to him, and. Um, And one of Bob's son-in-laws was Barry's shipping manager. And to Barry's credit, he mentored him and made him a great manager. And before Barry had worked there, people who had supervised the son-in-law didn't want to have anything to do with him because they felt like he was a spy, which was so unfair to him. Mm -hmm. But he actually turned out to be a great manager. So you just never know how it's going to turn out. Right. I think that that, you know, in my experience with family businesses, you have to assess family members like any other employee. You know what we're you know, when, when I'm you know, I'm terrible at romantic matchmaking. I tried it once with my brother in law. Never do it again. I love matching talent to, to great talent to great employers. That is my favorite thing to do. So I'm not a contract recruiter. I don't get paid upon hire. I get paid on a retainer. So when I, you know, right now I'm I'm hiring, and this is something I do a lot. So one of the the services in my business is I help um, a company hire their first HR person and then I mentor them. So it's like an HR apprenticeship relationship. This is going to be, I'm in the middle of my sixth experience with this, my favorite thing to do because so many, uh, several great people mentored me. It's part, I, I benefited so much from it. I, I don't have patience to teach children. I love teaching adults. So I, I love, you know, even with all of my clients, if they're if they're interested in learning what I know, I love teaching what I know. Because, <laughs> you know, my, my goal is not to be with a company for years. My goal is to, you know, get them to where they need to be. And then they call me if something weird happens. And then I just go and find some more clients who need that type of help.
0: That's awesome. I yeah. love it. Questions, anybody have some uh, some thoughts for Deb about anything HR related or career related? Yes, Teddy.
2: Hi, so uh, Hi, Teddy. it's really interesting to hear that you uh, do so much with family businesses and stuff like that, especially mm-hmm. in the HR aspect. Because um, my latest job, besides the one that I have right now uh, previously, was with the customer in Schenectady, which is a family-owned business. Former client. <laughs> I'm sure uh cuz they're they're like HR's actually previous,
1: previous owner but previous owner though yeah not 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 I mean I think at the beginning of my business 12 years ago they were client
2: yeah. yeah uh cuz the business was recently sold to the new owners who I was working for and was not having a very good time with that Um, but But, it was they sold it
1: again because it was sold um it was sold I think it's been sold
2: like four times I mean it's been the has been around 100 years in business so it's been sold sold a couple times sure Um, but the current owners that I was working for just previously before pre-pandemic and everything it was such a, um, it was definitely the most interesting place I've worked because uh, I don't know what I was expecting in a family business, but it felt just strange because they didn't really have like an HR person because like the HR person they have was one of the owners. And so it's like, I just wanted to know whether or not you can confirm whether or not that's an ethical thing to have, because it's like, if I have an issue with, one of your employees, and you own your business. How can I go to you for help, help or resolution when I'm a 23-year-old who you just hired, and you don't think I'm qualified to do anything? And I'm having an issue with someone who's worked there for 40 years.
1: Petty, you were spot on. That's exactly you know that that is what is a very common error in family businesses. Yeah, I forget <laughs> it was a, a nationwide fitness business. I forget um, the name of it, but um, there were it, he was harassing there were franchise owners and employees right at the beginning of the pandemic. And he was, harass- he was sexually and racially harassing his, his employees via Zoom. And their head of HR was his sister. So, oh, no. so what I do for a lot of my clients is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a third party. I'm a, so yeah, it's a little tricky. It was even, tri- let me tell you, it was, it was even tricky being an inside HR person. So, you know, I, I would typically uh, report to the CFO or the CEO, depending on how progressive the company was. If you have HR reporting to the CEO, that's a progressive company. You want them sitting at the table with the CEO. Um, but, you know, just because New York State is, 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 get, is catching up with California as the most heavily regulated state when it comes to employment, it is very employee favored. So, there are a lot of rules that employers have to follow in New York State that it that have been-
0: frankly, I mean, it goes back to um, abuses in New York City with the turn of the cent- last century, right? And yeah. you have, I mean, the 40 hour work week probably comes out of New York, I'm assuming. Um, well, uh,
1: you know what? Um, uh, the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, um, uh, OSHA had its origins. I don't know if, it, it, I mean, it's a it's a horrible story, but it's a, a fascinating story in terms of how horribly they were treating these employees. They basically locked them in a building, um, and they were on the so, eighth the eighth floor, and, up, and, and they, they were they were they were making sh- shirtwaist, They were making blouses. That's what they called um, blouses back then. And and there a fire started, and all the doors were locked, and and it was it was like it was that's it was the 20th century version. Of 9/11, they, they they started jumping out the windows because yeah. um, they and also uh, New York City didn't have a fire truck or a ladder that went up that far. So uh, you know I think there were over a hundred employees killed, which was just horrible. You think about um, it was 1917, so something in the night in the teens, I think 1914. Yeah. So yes, a lot of a lot of employment protections have originated in New York. Because of, because of issues like that. So California is even more regulated than New York. They're not only like another country, they're like another planet. Um, and I had nationwide responsibility. I had all 50 states in my role at Transworld and it's New York, California, Illinois, Massachusetts. Those are the most heavily regulated states. So there is a huge impetus to be compliant. There, and there are a lot of things that you have to comply with as an employer. There's guaranteed sick leave. You have to train your employees every year on sexual harassment. You can't let your employees harass each other. If the employer does nothing and and lets somebody continue to harass, um, then you know they can legitimately file a complaint with the New York State Division of Human Rights or the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And I have represented employers um, at discovery conferences in front of both those agencies. And you know what. This is, this is what can happen to an employer. It can cost, basically it can cost a lot of legal money, right, you can get penalties, fees, and then you can waste um, you know, legal fees on things you should have just done in the first place. So a lot of the work I do is, you know I'll go in and, and, and do an audit and no employer is perfect. And I tell them that, and you know, we find things that need to be fixed and we fix them. But the work I really love to do you know, that's important work, the compliance work. And I think that's, you know, my unique um, selling proposition as a business owner. The work I like to do in conjunction with that is that because of family businesses, because, you know, most business owners, you know, like most business owners can't sell, right? Most, you know, they, they came up with this invention. They don't know how to sell. They always need to hire somebody who can sell. Most business owners are not managers. So they're not great with, Uh, with people some of them are some of them are i have some great clients but you you know you see you need you need those functions to help treat your employees well because if you don't it gets out you know this is not like when i started in hr in 1989 where we just had barely mainframe computers there was no social media you know, it was the only time you heard something bad was what was if a media outlet like a newspaper or a TV station or a radio station wanted to talk about it. Now we're all, we, we, well, we all own stations, right? So you I have mean, to,
0: go ahead. No, I was gonna, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's all right. No, I, you know, and then I think we're gonna have to wrap it up but I, I just wanted to get to that one, that we, it's, you're right on the money about, um, we number one, I mean, it's the golden rule, right? I mean, like we should treat each other the way right. we want to be treated. Right. it actually makes really good business sense to treat your employees well because they, they stay with you and they become loyal to you. And they, they have um, institutional knowledge which can be super useful. They, you know, um, they, what was I going to say? There's just a sense of um, like not having to pay, you know, how much it costs to replace somebody, retrain somebody. So on a bottom line. 20,000, 20,
1: it could be anywhere these days from 20,000 to over a hundred thousand. When you look at recruiting and training and, and loss
0: lost of productivity. productivity. And so, you know, Herb Kelleher, who was the founder, I believe he was the founder of um, Southwest Airlines. He spoke at Albany. He was great. He was when great um, when uh, Southwest finally had a flight coming out of Albany International. And he said, you know, you guys have all heard the expression, probably the customer is always right. Uh, it's a nice exce- nice expression and stuff. But um, he used to say, I focus on my employees. That's right. Make them really, really happy. They'll make
1: your customers exactly. happy.
0: Exactly. It That's, right. So That's right. So if I only focus on, there are some businesses that sometimes it's like pushing the employees aside for an, a client. And, you know, again, there may be an there may be a, an employee that needs um, to be brought into Deb's office and talk to her about, um, you know, attitude or something. It's always but, coaching though. It's, but, to,
1: you know, my, 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 my adage is, I'm not there to discipline. I'm there to coach. I'm there yeah. to help people. Coaching if people want a, to be successful, I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them get there.
0: So we're out of time. Deb, I want to thank you so much. I You're know welcome. that we just skimmed the surface. You heard knowledge. I mean, she's my go-to person when we have a question and um you know, you've helped so many people, but you guys give it up for Deb Best. Um, Deb, thanks so much. You're welcome. And uh, thank you. Everybody have a great rest of your week. And um, I'll see you guys next week. Take care. Be safe. Thank
1: you. Bye. Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you.